Exodus and chapter 15. Really, it will be good for us to sing beginning with verse 1, rather to read beginning with verse 1, because it's really the first few verses of Moses' song that Miriam at the end borrows as she sings. And she simply picks up the first part, but in that song, we actually sang verse 1 and verse 2. So let's read the first 21 verses of Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The floods stand up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they trembled, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the elders of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till 
your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Now for our text. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam said, sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Well, we're continuing to look at these Old Testament characters one day in the life of, and in this particular case, it's one day in the life of Miriam. And which day have we chosen? It is the day when Miriam sang to the Lord. Uh, thankfully, here is a positive example for us to emulate. Often, when we are looking at one day in the life of someone, we are seeing individuals who were clever in their own eyes and in the process blew it and blew it badly. And consequently, these individuals become but warnings to us that we should not do as they have done. Well, in Miriam's case, we are saying, let us do as she has done. In other words, in studying her example, we are being challenged. All of us are being challenged that we may joyfully sing of God's signal blessings that come into our lives, that we may deliberately be individuals who want to sing. With all our chileas, that's all right. We are full of joy, and we want to sing to the Lord, and we want to sing to one another. What do we learn then within these three verses that we have chosen, verse 19 to verse 21? Well, first of all, it is the fact that there is a day, and for a number of us, there are a number of days in our lives when God comes through for us in such a glorious way. He comes through for us with very real, rich, signal blessings. We know that this is the Lord who has undertaken for me in a most glorious way. Well, friends, that's really what happened to Miriam in, on this particular occasion. She was conscious of this fact that God had visited Israel in a most glorious way. And so when we read verse 19, verse 19 is basically a summary. Uh, we would have gone backwards 
to go on to read particularly the entire chapter 14 when God routed the armies of Israel completely. And yet Moses, who wrote the book of Exodus, was not content to leave the entire story behind in chapter 14. He, he summarized it for us so that we can understand why his sister is, as it were, beside herself with such excitement. And so he summarizes it in three ways. First of all, he talks about the army of Israel that is destroyed. Uh, secondly, he makes it very clear who it is who has acted. And then thirdly, how his own people have consequently found themselves in safety. Let us notice that in verse 19. First of all, the defeat of Egypt's army. Verse 19, the first part. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. So that is their destruction. This was the, the number one army in the known world at that time. Pharaoh was with the, uh, the equivalent, perhaps, of the army of, say, the United States of America. And here were a people that had no army whatsoever. So they would be worse than us. At least we have Zambia army. They didn't even have that. And consequently, if they were to really just be destroyed or taken back into slavery. But on this occasion, that army is brought to its knees. The horses of Pharaoh with his, char with his chariots and his horsemen are drowned in the sea. And then, as I said, the next is we see who did it. And it's fairly clear in that second part. The Lord brought down back the waters of the sea upon them. This was not Moses' doing. It was not Aaron's doing. It was not Miriam's doing. It was not the people of Israel who have quickly taken shovels and began to push sand or water back into the sea. It was God himself in a miraculous way undertaking for them. But what is the result then for the people of Israel themselves? Well, there it is. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And to borrow the words of uh, Psalm 118 and verse 23, the Lord has done great things for us and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's really what happened here. It's what inspired Moses to then have this song written and sung, a song of triumph over 
the people of Egypt. Well, brethren, something like this can be spoken of with respect to our individual salvation, isn't it? I mean, here we are, we are born sinners, and when we are exposed to the teaching of a holy God and a God who must indeed finally punish us for our sins, we then realize that we are actually slaves to Satan because we cannot just resign. I mean, we try to resign in order to, as it were, rescue ourselves from the implications of being slaves to the devil. And in the end, we completely fail until the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, comes in and gloriously rescues us from the clutches of Satan. So this is a picture of our salvation. That anybody who has experienced real salvation should be able to speak in these terms. That the devil who has taken thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, millions and billions and trillions of people to hell under his clutches and could have easily done it to me as well. The Lord has come in a glorious way and saved me from his clutches. Ultimately, we should be able to be filled with gratitude for such a God. But whereas that is our primary application, the spiritual application, we must accept that there are also secondary applications. In other words, other situations that happen in our lives that cause us to pause and say, this can only be God. It can only be God. Another example for me was just yesterday. I don't know about you, but as I sat at the African Christian University graduation, And now our first degree student has graduated with a degree that has been accredited by the Higher Education Authority of Zambia, such that he can now proceed this coming year to go and do his master's in America. I stood there thinking, Kabwata has done this. Kabwata. It's can't be. It can, this, is, this is God. Who, who can imagine that we can run a university? University. And right now we're just waiting for the license to be given for us to start teaching at masters. And very soon we'll start giving out doctorates accredited at world level. This can't be us. It's God. It's God. It's God who has done this. It's a signal blessing from the Lord himself. 
Well then, what should we do when we have visitations of the Lord like this? Well, what we are not learning from, from uh, our sister Miriam here is that when God comes through for us in such real signal blessings, we should deliberately sing to the Lord. We should come back to him expressing joy in song. And that's what we see here in um, verse 20. In verse 20, look at what Miriam does. The Bible tells us, Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Well, Miriam is picked out from the entire crowd. I mean, there must have been thousands upon thousands of people on this occasion. And they were all no doubt excited. Why is Miriam picked out? Well, she's introduced to us in three ways. First of all, by name. And here is the only place in the entire book of Exodus where she's mentioned by name in verse uh, 20 and verse 21. The rest of the book, she is not mentioned by name at all. So that's fairly deliberate, that he could have easily also continued, but he wanted us to know who this person was, Miriam, so that wherever it will be, where we will ever find her name, we will remember the way in which she was, as it were, beside herself in excitement on this day. The second thing that we are told about her is the gift that God had given her. We are told here that she was a prophetess. Now, up to this point, we are not told anything about Miriam prophesying. Zero. But clearly, the phrase prophet signifies an individual that in an extraordinary way would actually receive God's revelation and pass it on to other people. Absolutely extraordinary. In other words, here is a woman who no doubt God had been revealing to that one day Israel would be out of Egyptian captivity, would be worshipping the Lord out in the desert, and probably even enter into the promised land. God himself had, as it were, handed over that revelation to her. And yet, history was not going in that direction. They were stuck in Egypt, and they were stuck under an army that is the mightiest army on the planet. They were stuck as slaves, and so they could not go free. And their work was being made more and more difficult by Pharaoh when straw was removed from the brick-making activities, and so on. Their own sons were being murdered upon being born, and so on. It did not add up 
what God had been revealing to her and what was going on. The third revelation that we are told about her is that she was the sister of Aaron. This is deliberate. It's telling us that it is that young lady whose mother one day gave up on protecting her son, her nameless son, and finally put this son in a basket and let that basket on the river Nile among the reeds. It is that girl who was standing at a distance playing, peeping to see what was going to happen to her brother. Anxious that her own blood brother was about to be murdered by the Egyptians. It is that young girl who quickly rushed in and did what she could in her own clever way when Pharaoh's daughter came and picked up this basket and saw this crying baby in the basket. She's the one who ran over and suggested to Pharaoh's daughter whether she could go and find an Egyptian woman to look after this little baby. It is this little girl who then ran over to Moses' mother, her own mother, and said, come. Pharaoh's daughter wants to give you a job. It is this same girl who is now on the opposite end of delivery. What was at one time absolutely impossible She's now had the opportunity to see it coming through. She is Pharaoh's, rather she is Moses' sister, but she's mentioned as Aaron's son, I mean sister. Primarily so that we can capture something of the fact that she was part of the, the, the household drama as Moses and Aaron would day by day come from Pharaoh's palace full of frustration that we've talked to him again, but he's not listening. We've talked to him. This time he has said yes. But as soon as the next plague would play out, he would again say no, and they would be frustrated about it. They would talk. Aaron and Moses, and finally say, fine, let's go again. And she was listening to all this drama playing out in all the frustration that was taking place. This is the woman who finally witnesses this great deliverance. Here's my point. Can you blame her? for going to pick up a tambourine. And as she goes forward in the midst of all this crowd, as my also say, we are coming out to join. We're coming out. This is glorious beyond comparison. Her experience made her stand 
out. And friends, it's the same with us. If you're truly a Christian, your experience of deliverance from sin, your experience of the forgiveness of sin, your experience of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, your experience of going from death to life, it's your experience that should make you be able to say, I'm not going to become a follower of every Tom, Dick, and Harry. No, no, no. God has been good to me. Don't know about you, but he's certainly been good to me. I went through all the struggles with my fight concerning my sense of guilt. I went through all those struggles with my fight against enslavement to sin. I went through all those struggles. It's me. And it was an absolutely impossible situation until I cried to God in desperation. And he came through for me. He came through for me. That's the reason why I cannot help but sing to him. And if that's true of you, you ought to be able to inspire others to join in the singing. And that's basically what happened here. This is it's not a, a, a church service kind of situation. It's not, I mean, they didn't even have a temple in those days. But the bottom line was, it, it was spontaneous. It, it, it just happened in the midst of this lady being beyond excitement. That when her friends saw her, they also picked their tambourines as well and came out singing and dancing too. But what I love especially is that they did not just join her, but she actually sang to them. She sang to them. In other words, when God comes through in this real signal blessing and deliverance, we should be the ones to take up that song and sing. In other words, whether you join me or not, they probably joined her in due season, but the point is she wanted to express her joy before the Lord. Look at verse 21. And Miriam sang to them. Yes, she sang with them, but the point that is being recognized here is that she sang to her friends. But secondly, she did not compose this song. We, we've already seen that it's, it's an already composed song. So the song she's singing is, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, and the horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. Well, that's um, verse 1 of the whole chapter. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. As I said, the women were obviously with her, 
And there's no doubt they were at least participating in playing their tambourines and dancing to the tune. There's no doubt about that. They were not standing just watching her with tambourines in their hands like this. No way, as verse 20 says, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. But it's fairly clear that the main singer was Miriam herself. I like to imagine that it's, it's the way in which often we Africans sing, where you've got a sort of lead line, which when you sing it out, the other people sort of just catch on and repeat. And again, you sing it out and they catch on and repeat. And there was obviously something to that effect. It was a, a, a natural singing that was taking place in the midst of this, and Miriam was expressing herself, her own emotions, due to her own personal testimony of God's deliverance. It's also possible that although we have been given this little chorus here, that perhaps she may have even have sang the whole song, that perhaps the only reason why we have this first part is to avoid repeating the entire uh, hymn again in this chapter. Perhaps, I don't know. Uh, but the point is, it expressed something of uh, even what the entire hymn was all about. Because as you read these words, you begin to see that they express everything else that is written in this particular song. Well, brethren, again, as a Christian, you should express yourself to other believers in songs of praise to God. Because it's your experience. It's you who has known the love of God that has visited you. You don't need to be the one to compose a song. You may not be gifted in that way. You, you can borrow a song that has already been written, maybe in the Psalms or in the hymn book or some chorus book that might be there or some of the more recent hymns and songs that are being written, but you immediately sense that this expresses the way I feel about what God has done for me. That's it. That we ought to be a people that do that. Miriam did so on this day of genuine celebration. We should do the same. I wonder whether this is a, a person who represents you. That this is you on your good days, especially with respect to your salvation. Can you say so? That God places a song on your heart which you, you cannot help but sing. I remember 
my my elder sister and her testimony that's by the way i've told you before how i came to christ uh, my mom had died when i was nine years old and we went to be looked after by her immediate elder sister for about five to six years my elder sister came back home first and a year later she came to unza and then a year later i also finished and came back to dad's home and i was coming to unza and uh, I've never forgotten coming into a home where in the period we had been away, dad had become an alcoholic. Anything that could be sold was sold in order to be turned into money, to be turned into alcohol and so on. And I've never forgotten coming back home and going right into a depression, straight into a depression, because the home I had left and the home I found were two totally different homes. But what I could not process and understand was how my sister would be singing hymns of praise to God in the midst of that. I remember thinking to myself, if that's what Christianity is, I'm not saved. I've never forgotten that. Because, I mean, there would be no food in the home in terms of relish, and she would go to the hedge at our home and begin plucking out the leaves of that particular hedge, and that was what would be cooked for us to eat. And as she's cooking, she's singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, and whatever the last line is. And I remember sitting, I'll be hearing in my bedroom and thinking, if that's Christianity, I don't have it. And that's what caused me to start searching for Christ, literally throwing away. I've been, I've been going to church all my life. But at that point, I realized that there's something she has that I don't have. And in terms of her singing gift, it's as good as mine, by the way. So it wasn't so much the sort of singing of a robin uh, in the house. It, it, it was the, the singing from the heart, the emotion that was there that convinced me that if that's Christianity... I don't have it. Let me ask, is that what's happening with your heart? Because this is the greatest miracle of all miracles in the entire universe. The rescuing of a soul from the dominion of Satan. And if that cannot express itself well up in the soul in a song that causes others to say, hey, let's pick up our tambourines as well and join in the celebration, I'm saying that nothing else can and nothing else will because there's absolutely nothing comparable to the greatness of our salvation. Is there a singing heart? Singing to the Lord and singing to others. 
I want you to think about it for a moment because the Christian church is a singing church because we have known the deliverance of God. We've known the deliverance of God. Think of other religions. Go into a, a Muslim mosque if you want and, and, and go and listen if there is any singing what that singing sounds like. And then, do yourself a favor, go and perhaps watch the, you know, the, the, the Gaitha music videos and, and, and see the, the faces that are aglow as songs of God's greatness and God's goodness and God's grace are being sung. What a difference. It's like midnight, pitch black, starless midnight compared to the broad, bright sunshine that we have, for instance, right outside at the moment. The Christian church has inevitably been a singing church. Let me also add the fact that isn't it also true that when your walk with the Lord is healthy, you want to sing. You want to sing. But when you are in compromise and sin, you fail to sing. Your mind is just wandering, waiting for the whole event to be over. In other words, a singing heart also testifies as to whether we are truly connected with the Lord spiritually and walking with him because it's the outflow of joy in walking with the Lord. When you are in compromise and sin, you can't. It's like the way the Israelites wrote in their psalm when they were being asked to, to sing God's song at gunpoint, as it were, when they were in Babylon. And they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in this strange land? How? We can't. We are failing. And therefore, they just put their singing instruments aside. That's the way you feel when you are living in sin and compromise. A third point. Have you noticed that our greatest hymns are written in revivals, in revivals. Under individuals like the, the Wesleys and Whitfields and so on, when, when a revival broke out, hymns began to come out afresh. Why? Because God touches the hearts of his people. They fall in love with him afresh. And consequently, they write new hymns. They write new songs. And, and these are captured in the churches. And the churches sing a new song to the Lord. Oh, brethren, that's what ought to be true with us. That's what ought to be true with us. That the, the singing expresses something of 
not only what God has done, but also the state in which we are. But it's not only salvation from sin. As I said, sometimes it is salvation from actual human enemies. Every so often, we've got friends who turn against us, relatives and workmates and schoolmates and so on, who have power on their hands and they just want to destroy us. They use the power that they have on their hands to, to, to bring us to a miserable end. And we know that as, we be, as believers, it would be wrong for us to, to start using their own worldly tactics, to also start hitting back at them and so on. We know that that would be wrong. And so we just take our case as it were and put it in God's hands and say, God, you are the only deliverer that I can wait for. And then in due season, God comes through for in a way whereby you know this is God. Or it might be in terms of an illness, a disease, a virus, a bacteria, whatever it might be, cancer, that is eating away at your life and you've tried this, that, and the other, you've cried to God, and then the Lord answers your prayer. And you are healed. And you are amazed at the fact that the Lord has come through for you. Or perhaps in these days when jobs are hard to come by, you've applied and applied and applied and applied and applied and applied and applied, and no job is coming through. And then a job comes through which you know that this is not me. This is not my qualification. This is not whatever else it might be. This is God. Or oh, finances for some major issue that is before you. It might be a medical process that is necessary. It might be school fees that need to be paid for. It might be whatever else it might be. But the Lord provides in a, in a completely unusual way. You know that this is him who has done this. Does your heart do something of what Miriam does here? To say, let me sing. Yes, we've sung together, but let me sing among my friends. Let me take that same old song and sing it among my friends. And sing, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. May Miriam challenge us today to take our hearts to the place where they will freely sing praises to God in the midst of our friends. That we might, as it were, release ourselves so that God 
might receive the praises in the hearing of whoever is there listening that God has been good to us. Where we can even urge the women, as they say usually, you know, you can say to them, come on, throw everything into it. I'm excited about what the Lord has done for me. As I was coming to church this morning, I thought there was also one extra application I could throw in, and it's to do with weddings. I think you might know the reason why. You know, when we were getting married those years, we, we would have the Charles Botters of this day to, to sing songs to our relatives about what God has done for us at our receptions. Because church is too controlled, so church ceremony, but at the reception, they would sing. When I married Felicitas, my wife, it was, in those days, we used to call them the Aggies. The Aggies. One of them is now Mrs. Chileshe. The other one is now Mrs. Ngoma. They, they sang. I still have the pictures of them singing to our relatives about God's goodness to us. Our relatives would go home thinking, wow, that's what the Lord has done for that young couple in them coming together. All that would have something like that today. Something that shows the world that we are glad about what the Lord has done for us. That is the one who's brought us together. And we want you to hear it during this occasion that we are celebrating. Away from the church building, where we are now in full control, we want you to hear it. And those who can sing, they've done so. A husband and wife, just for, they've been married 30 minutes. And they sing together to this congregation of relatives and friends about the Lord and what he has done. That's something of a challenge here. Not, you can't even make out what is being sung in the song except it's maybe going Amen. <laughs>